So we are in part five of wise choices, better decisions, fewer regrets. Um, it's actually such an interesting topic because when you hear the, a message on it, when you read a book, when you read one-liners, it sounds so amazing, right? It sounds so easy. It sounds like, yeah, but when you're faced with it, it's a whole different ball game. And so we don't take this lightly. Guys, at the end of the day, we can't do this without God. We need the Holy Spirit. And so before we go any further, let's just pray and actually commit this to God because I don't want to stand here and just give you a whole lot of great information. I actually want the information that is in God's Word to be revealed to you, to actually come alive in you and come alive in me and make a difference. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your word is alive, that we can read it today and it's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Father, I commit this message to you and I pray that we will be inspired, encouraged by your word. May it penetrate every single one of us, whether we are here uh, present or whether we are online, whether we're listening to this message in our cars or wherever we are, God, we know that your word is alive and well and he's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Father, uh, we commit this to you and pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> the last few weeks we've looked at integrity, we've looked at maturity, you know, our conscience, how to actually make decisions based on all of these things. But the bottom line is, is that we all make and have to make decisions every single day. We make decisions about this or that. We make decisions about what we're going to wear. We make decisions about what we're going to eat. We make decisions, are we going to brush our teeth today? Okay, we make decisions about everything. I mean, I, I didn't try and do the calculations, but I would guess that in one day, you, we're probably making up to a thousand decisions. We need to make um, decisions every single day. And we're always going to have to make decisions. But the thing is, is that some of those decisions that I spoke about are really basic, everyday, expected decisions, right? Like you have to decide about what you're going to wear. Um, even if it's closing your eyes or putting your hand in your cupboard and taking something else, you're still out. You still had to make a decision to do that, right? But some of us are going to face major um, choices in our lives right now. All of us have faced major choices at some point in our lives. In the past, in the present, and we will have to in the future face major um, moments of decision making. It's part of life. We're going to have to do that. And so making choices, making wise choices is critical. And the reason that it's critical is because whatever decision you make today is going to write the rest of the chapters of your life of your lives. It's going to write the, the rest of the chapters of your lives. You know, like Jason always says, if you play the movie forward, what do you want it to look like? How do you want it to be, to, to be portrayed? It's the same as, 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 um, the, as, as, as a book, right? The decisions you make today are going to write those chapters. So, the, so how you make those decisions, whether you make wise decisions or regretful decisions is up to you. Okay, And I don't know about you, but I cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. There are times when I'm faced with a choice 
that might feel great in the moment, or as we South Africans say, lacquer, right? We like, oh, but that just feels so, so like it feels like it's going to be nice. But we know if we read ahead, if we play the movie ahead, it's not going to be a great outcome. So today what we're going to do is we're actually going to go to the Old Testament. And there is a, um, a story that from, uh, it's 2 Kings chapter 5. Now 2 Kings chapter 5 is well known for the story of Naaman and Elisha, where Naaman is an officer in the Armenian army and he has leprosy and he wants to get healed and Naaman tells him what to do, and eventually he gets healed. But there's a part of the story that we don't often hear about, and that is also in 2 Kings 5, also very relevant, is the part about a man called Gehazi. Now, Gehazi was a prophet in training, so he trained under Elisha. And so today what I want to do is I actually want us to look at Gehazi's life as an example, all right? I want us to think about the critical choices that he had to make, and then I want us to look at his life as an example when we want to make critical choices. And then what I'm going to do as well is I'm going to give you some questions to think about, just basic questions. Some of them might seem like a repeat from, from what you've heard the last four weeks, but I want you to go home and I want you to write, the, well, first of all, I want you to write the questions down today, whether it's on your phone or, or in your book, and I want you to go home and I want you to pray about them. Because as you pray about these questions, I'm trusting that God's word that is revealed to you today will actually move you as you have to think about how you want to answer these questions that it won't just be superficial, it won't just be knowledge, but there'll actually be a spiritual moment where you are connecting with what God wants for you. Because you know that God wants something for you, right? Okay. As much as he wants from you to go out and make disciples to share the good news, he actually wants something for you. So the choices that we make based on what we're going to learn today, are so important because they're actually going to affect the destiny that God has for you. God has a destiny for each and every one of us. God had a destiny for Gehazi. And we're going to see how he uh, messed that one up, okay? But just to give you a bit of background, in case you don't know too much about the story of Elisha and Naaman. Naaman was a commander in the Armenian army, and um, he was very, very wealthy, well-liked by the king, but he had leprosy, which is a skin disease. And um, the Armenians had uh, besieged um, Israel, and they had taken a lot of people captive. And one of the people that they had taken captive was a young girl that Naaman had now given to his um, wife to be a helper in their home. And she obviously saw that Naaman had leprosy. So she said to his wife the one day, why don't you tell Naaman to go to the prophet in Israel and have him pray for healing? And uh, Naaman thought, okay, well, I'll give it a try. He went and spoke to his king and he said, what do you think? Should I do this? And the king said, yes, absolutely. I'll write a letter to the king of Israel asking him to pray for you. So he writes a letter, he fills chariots with silver and gold and clothing, and he takes oxen and livestock as gifts to give to the king, um, you know, once he's healed. So he takes all of this with him, he arrives in Israel, gives the letter to the king. The king says, well, I don't know what to do, I can't pray for you. And he actually 
funny enough, he actually thinks that this is a trap to try and, um, you know, uh, fight with them. But Naaman hears about what has happened, and um, he sends a message to the king to say, no, let Naaman come to me, to, to me, and I will pray for him, and I will tell him what to do. So anyway, Naaman goes off to Elisha, and instead of Elisha coming out to meet him, which obviously Naaman thought he was really important, he sends a messenger to tell Naaman that he needs to go to the Jordan River and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River to get healed. But now this was a very important man. So first of all, he felt like, wow, the guy didn't even come out and greet me and like just wave his hand and heal my leprosy. So he storms off furious and he says, why would I go and dip myself in some silly river like the Jordan River? I have better rivers in my country. But his, um, the, the servants that were with him, they encourage him and they say, listen, Naaman, if he had asked you to do something that seemed important, would you have done it? And he says, yeah, actually I would have. So he says, why? So they encouraged him, why don't you just try it? So he says, okay, fine. He goes to the Jordan River, he dips himself seven times, and he is healed. And this is where we kick off with 2 Kings 5. So I'm going to do a lot of reading, but please bear with me. It's really, really a great um, and encouraging story. From 2 Kings 5 verse 15, it says, Then Naaman... I think it's going to be up. Yeah. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God, that being Elisha. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. All the gold and silver and clothing that he had, he wanted to gift um, Elisha for healing him. But this is what Elisha replies from verse 16. As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then this is what Naaman's reaction is from verse 17. He says, then Naaman said, all right, and please take note of this. He says, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. And I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. Some other translations um, actually say that he, he wanted to use the dirt to build an altar to God. That's why he wanted to take dirt from the place where he was healed and build an altar. All right? So Naaman, with all of his wealth, all of everything he has, he does this weird thing about going to be dipped seven times in the Jordan River. He's healed. Um, Elisha won't take um, gifts. And off Naaman goes with his two bags of dirt, basically, right? Okay? Um, two bags of dirt, and off he goes back home. And then uh, 2 Kings 5.19, um, Elisha says to him, go in peace. So Naaman started home again. Right. Sounds great. It could have ended there. He's healed. He's got his dirt. He's going to go and build an altar. He's going to worship God. When he comes from a pagan community where they worship false gods, that sounds great, right? But the story doesn't end there. This is what happens. So as I told you, Gehazi was a prophet in training under Elisha. Then from verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said to himself, maybe this sounds familiar, 
My master should not have let this Armenian get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. Okay. So what do you see there? Gehazi justified, or as Jason taught us, he just lied, okay, to himself that he knew better than the prophet Elisha, that he was going to go and get what he deserved because he knew better. He thought he knew better than Elisha that they actually deserved this money and clothing, so Gehazi goes and runs after Naaman, okay? So the first question I want you to write down and think about is what am I running after? What am I running after? What am I pursuing? Here's the principle. Be careful what you're running after because you might just get it. Be careful what you're running after because you might just get it. And what you get might be the very thing that weighs you down. The very thing, the very consequences that you hoped you wouldn't get. What are you running after? I don't know about you, but I've met people who've had dreams that you know those dreams are not necessarily what God wants for you, but they run after it, they catch the dream, and then the dream catches them. Because if that dream's not from God, then I want you to picture in your own life what being caught by that dream could look like. Addiction, obsession, and I don't just mean addiction to obvious things like drugs. I mean any kind of addiction. Okay. We need to ask ourselves, what am I running after? Because the pursuits, the, the, the way that we pursue life reveals what's inside our hearts. The things that we run after reveals what is inside our hearts. So here's Gehazi. He's running after the chariots because the chariots are full of silver, gold, and material things, right? So that's what he's running after. Elisha is this humble servant of God who's actually the top prophet, and he doesn't feel entitled at all. He's like, he's, he doesn't feel entitled. But here you have the prophet in training who feels totally entitled. But he didn't even do anything, all right? He, what did he do, okay? He just witnessed a miracle, but he felt completely entitled, um, in Psalm 119, verse 32, it says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Do you know, if you run in the path of God's commands, you will always run on a path that is leading you towards God. If you follow his commands, in the message version, it says, I'll run the course you lay out for me if you'll just show me how right? And how does he show you how? By you spending time with him, by you praying, by you getting into the word, being in church, getting into a life group, and actually finding, saying, God, how? How do I do it? Because if you're anything like me, there are times when I don't know how to do it. So I need advice. I need God's word. 
Then we go on with the story, 2 Kings 5, verse 21 to 22. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said. Here, the plot thickens. He says, but my master, referring to Elisha, has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. Did Elisha say that? No. Okay. Gehazi, what are you doing? All right. So Gehazi pursues Naaman. Now he's just lying again justifying his actions because now he's chased after him and there he is. So he's like, okay, I've got to lie a bit more now. Okay, I've got to like pad the story. I've got to add to it, okay? When our choices take us to places where we never wanted to go, but now we're there, we tend to lie to cover up the lie and then a second lie and a third lie and so on because now we have to just a lie why we are there, right? So, we read on. Actually, I want to ask you this question from Proverbs 10, verse 9. It says that people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. And I love the, the message version, which I think is going to come up. It says, um, is it there, Jason? There. It says, honesty lives confident and carefree, but shifty is sure to be exposed. Take note that there's capital letters. That was in the Bible. Okay? So honesty, in other words, a person, an honest person, lives confident and carefree, but shifty, the other person, lives an exposed life. So your next question that I'd like you to write down, am I honesty or shifty? Am I honesty or shifty? Am I trustworthy with the little things? Am I trustworthy with what Jesus has asked me to do with the little things enough to have him give me more responsibility, to have him give me more and to take on more? Or am I shifty? And eventually, let's be honest, things are exposed. It's interesting how the wrong pursuit, right, or the wrong choice will cause us, cause us to have to compromise, will cause us to have to become shifty. So we go on to 2 Kings 5.23. Then this is Naaman's response. He says, by all means, take twice as much silver as what he asked for, Naaman insisted, because obviously he didn't understand um, everything. He, he comes from a pagan world. So he was like, well, I brought all the stuff with me. Take more. Um, and then he goes on. He says, he gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. If he had to send two people with Gehazi to carry the silver, can you imagine how much silver he gave him? Okay? So this guy is set for life, all right? Gehazi had won the lottery, Okay, he's like, this prophet life is out the window. I'm set for life. He's, he's like, that's it, he's, he's done. 
So picture Gehazi now, right? Remember earlier on I mentioned that Naaman filled two bags with dirt, with the earth, and he's gone with his two bags of dirt. So, so, so let me set the picture. You've got Naaman, the man of God. He's going off with bags of silver and clothing. And you've, I mean, Eli, uh, Gehazi, sorry. You've got Gehazi going off with the silver. Then you've got Naaman, very wealthy, very accomplished, going off with two bags of dirt. The contrast in that picture, you would expect that the man of God would know better, right? But it's not always about what you know. Knowledge can actually be the death of you. It's about what you know in here and experience and live. Okay. Thank you. So let me ask you, what, are, what, are you, what have you got in your bags? Are you carrying dirt or are you carrying material things? Are you relying on material things of this world to live a secure life? Not that there's anything wrong with materials. It's how you're carrying it. Is it everything to you and weighing you down and causing you to compromise? Or are you aware of what Jesus has done with you and you have built an altar to him? Your life is that altar. Why didn't Elisha want to accept the gifts? wouldn't have made him a bad person. I think it's because he wanted Naaman to know that it was the power of God that healed him and not the man of God, that it had nothing to do with Elisha. And that's why I also believe he didn't come out to greet him so that it's this big fancy hoo-ha, all right? It was the power of God that healed him and he wanted Naaman to know that. Because the thing is, is that in those days, in pagan worship, if you wanted a blessing or if you wanted healing, you would go to one of their temples and you had to pay for that blessing. You literally had to pay to the gods. You had to give of your wealth to get your blessing. So I think that Naaman is, he's going home with his dirt and he is saying, I want to become, I'm going to build this altar so that it reminds me that I want to become a greater worshiper of God. I want to worship this God who has healed me. It's a, it's a reminder. That's why we do things like communion. It reminds us. That's why we come to church so we can fellowship together and worship God. It's constant reminders. That's why we have things like version Bible app that you can put a reminder on your phone that pops up that says, read the word, spend time with God. We need to have reminders in our lives to get us to actually want to be a greater worshiper, to want to live a life that is saying, Today I'm like this, but tomorrow I can be better. I can be more. I can give more. I can love God more. I believe that's what Naaman wanted. He wanted to be a greater worshiper. But what Gehazi wanted was he wanted earthly security. He obviously didn't think that God was enough. He said, if I have earthly security, then at least I'm safe. So what do you value in your life? What are your choices based on? So it's, it's not to make you feel worse. The one thing I don't want from this message is for you to feel worse. This is to encourage you to ask these questions and to evaluate, to evaluate where you are in your journey. We all have to do it. There are times where I can also get, go down a path where I can find that my peripheral uh, um, vision 
which should be focused only on God, becomes widened. And all of a sudden, I feel like I need everything around me to be a better person, to be accepted by people. My peripheral vision becomes too wide. And so our pursuits need to be on God. Then we go on to 2 Kings 5 verse 24, where he says, this is now... um, Gehazi has now left and he's on his way home. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. Would he have had to hide them if it was wrong? Do we have to hide anything we do that is not wrong? When we need to start hiding, we need to question. We need to take out these questions and go, okay. So Gehazi hid the gifts. He didn't want Elisha to see them. He knew he was wrong. But I really believe that when we make choices in line with God and in line line with his word, we'll never have to hide anything. And then even when we're struggling, we won't have to hide it. Because people will just know us as honest people who can lay out your struggles with, with others that you are accountable to and can talk about your struggles with others because you don't have anything to hide. But when you hide, you have to dig your hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's much more difficult to get out of it. So, the truth always comes out, people. The third question I want you to write down is, are there any hidden things in your life? Is there anything that you're hiding in your life? Again, this is not to condemn you. This is for you to ask, am I hiding anything? What do I, okay. I think this area I'm hiding, I need to deal with it. And let me tell you that I always say this to people, there is nothing that you can tell me that will shock me. I have lived it, seen it, heard it, walked with people. There is nothing that you can say to me that would shock me. And I really believe that there are many people in this church who have the same um, heart that I do where you can go and talk to people, you can, you can have people in your lives that will not go, oh, you did what? But they will actually go, okay, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Now we can deal with it. Now we can walk towards God, run towards God. Because, guys, what is the big deal about, remember, God's word says that all sin is the same in his sight. Okay. So one of the ways, one of the keys to deal with these hidden things is, first of all, to lay it at the foot of the cross, to actually go to God, lay it at the foot of the cross, ask for forgiveness, and then um, to be transparent to God and others. That is when he can start working in your life. Maybe you made a choice long ago to click on a site that you knew was going to open a door that has now led to a certain addiction. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Let it not be hidden any longer. Deal with it. God wants to deal with it in your life. Maybe you've become too friendly with somebody at work and you know it's inappropriate. Dig it out from that hole. Don't let it be hidden. Let God's light shine on it. Walk away from it. Run towards God. Maybe you are doing everything you can to avoid certain taxes. And you know, if people find out you're in big trouble, uncover it, 
rather deal with the consequences than keep it hidden. Maybe you've got into the habit of lying and it's, and it's, so, it's so deep now, it, it's so hidden that you, that you think, why, well, if people find out now, I'm gonna lose this or I'm gonna, they're gonna walk away from me. Rather let it come to the light now. Ask yourself, what is hidden in my life? Do you know that Jason and I often talk about how um, uh, when we are struggling with something and we verbally say it out loud, the hole that it has seems to just disappear. Those of you that know, right? The moment you say it, it's like, oh, okay, I feel so much more free. I feel lighter. I feel, you know, like, it, it just, do you know what that, that hold is? It's Satan who wants to keep you, that, that heavy bag of guilt on your back, that shame that says, People will think less of you. You'll, you'll be um, questioned and kicked out of church. Nobody will, will, will want to love you. But the moment you say it, Satan's got no hold over you. Isn't it amazing? It's like just the most fantastic thing. Okay, so I don't know where I am. Here I am. All right, so. 2 Kings 5.25 Elisha calls Gehazi, he says, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Where have you been? Where have you been, Susan? Where have you been, Jason? So God is giving Gehazi a second chance, okay? But this is his reply. He says, I haven't been anywhere. I'm hiding that thing deep, deep, deep. Elisha, I haven't been anywhere, I promise. Elisha, I'm not lying. Now I've got to lie to cover up that lie. Um, Elisha, I, I, I've just been chilling at home. I haven't been anywhere. I just went to the shop for five hours to buy bread. I haven't been anywhere. Okay, I've got to make another lie to cover that lie. Do, do you get what I'm, where I'm going with this, right? We get to make wise choices. God actually gives us a chance, a second chance to say sorry and to move on and to make wise choices. If you are living a life of consequences because of regrets that you are living in, do you know that if you are still alive and you are still breathing, God will forgive you and he will give you an opportunity to make right that which you have gone off his path, right? He actually gives you a second chance. So Gehazi had an opportunity to confess, but he didn't take it. And I wonder what would have happened if Gehazi had actually admitted his mistake, had admitted his sin. I think he would have been forgiven. There's a good chance Elisha would have sent him back to Naaman to give everything back. And the rest of Gehazi's chapters would have turned out differently. I don't think Elisha would have said, you're a bad man, get out of my sight, how dare you, slap, slap, slap. I think he honestly would have given him a second chance to make right, and he might have been the next uh, major prophet in, of Israel. So I want you to confess and allow God to restore you. Change the trajectory of the rest of your life. And then as I wrap up, sort of, 2 Kings 5.26, but Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? 
Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, and male and female servants? Gehazi honestly thought that that would be better for him, that what God had for him was not good enough. Can I tell you that what God has for you is better than anything else you can ever imagine? The, traject- the trajectory that I was on before I got saved, today I would be a very different person. I would be struggling with things that I can only begin to imagine. I would most likely be divorced. I would, there would just be a totally different trajectory that I'd be living on. Has life been simple and rosy and easy since I got saved? No, but when I have faced the challenges and I've asked and pushed into, asked for God's help and pushed into God, when I've gone through heartache, like having um, many miscarriages or um, just horrible um, life, you know, because life brings things that you don't want. If it hadn't been for God at my side, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I want to encourage you, this isn't about an offer for a rosy life. This is about an offer to make wise choices because even though it's our tagline, please don't take it as a tagline. Better decisions lead to fewer regrets. And how do we make better decisions? We lean into God. One of the tricks of the enemy is that he wants us to trade our destiny for something temporary. He wants us to trade our souls for something temporary. 2 Kings 5, 27, this is how it ends. He says, because you have done this, Gehazi, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow, and not in the good way. So earlier on, I mentioned that what you run after, if you... If you catch it, it catches you. So Gehazi ran after Naaman and he caught Naaman's leprosy. Yes, he had the wealth that he had given him and the clothing, but he actually caught something that he never intended to catch. The consequences were what he was hoping he wouldn't have, right? He was hoping for different consequences. That became the mark of his legacy. Gehazi was being prepared to be the next prophet of Israel, but his legacy was passing on leprosy to the generations after him. He left the presence of God. He left the purposes that God had for him because he made a wrong choice. And I'm not talking about where you seek God and, you th- and you've, you've, you've gone after Him, you've prayed and you've asked for advice and maybe that still was not the, the, the wise decision. Maybe you sensed that you were hearing from God, but, but, but it wasn't. I don't think God holds that against you because He knows that you tried. But it's the obvious things where you know, God doesn't want me to do that. The Holy Spirit is saying, you know, like Jason always says, <coughs> That's the kind of decisions I'm talking about that will lead to fewer regrets. So church, what will mark your legacy? When you look at the here and now, what do the end chapters look like? What will mark your legacy? Now, 
maybe you are living in a legacy that was passed on to you that is one that you wished you didn't have. Maybe you are living in that legacy. Do you know that you can change your legacy? Do you know that you can start a new end? You can change. You can um, run towards God and initiate a different legacy. I'll give you a, a quick testimony. So after my mom passed away, when I was in matric, um, I found out from my grandmother about a year later, I didn't know this, that she had fallen pregnant with me out of wedlock. And then a, they, they got married while she was pregnant and a year later they got divorced and I never saw my biological father again. That was um, a legacy that I was sort of living out because I didn't know any, you know, any better. Um, I just thought, well, he abandoned me. He obviously didn't love me, but then I find out that this had happened. And you can imagine in the 70s, that was quite like, like, wow, you fell pregnant out of wedlock, okay? Not that that's like the biggest thing for me at all, but back then to find that out after my mom had died, so I couldn't have a conversation with her. Anyway, my grandmother, who I've, I've mentioned to before, lives in Switzerland, she took it upon herself. Now, after my mom had passed away and, and left my dad and my sister and I, uh, my stepfather had adopted me, she took it upon herself to take photographs of us and to go to a fortune teller in Switzerland. Because now she was obviously sad, she was upset, she couldn't understand what was happening. So here she took the photographs of us to um, this fortune teller. And the fortune teller looked at my photograph and she said that she, Susan is going to fall pregnant out of wedlock and the man will leave her. My gran hasn't told her anything about my mother's past, about my, my mom, you know, and, and what had happened. That was the legacy that Satan was trying to speak over my life without me having any clue that this was even happening. This is what she tells me a few months later when she comes on holiday to South Africa. And I lived in fear, absolute fear. So what I did when I, got, when I became a Christian was I said, absolutely not. I will not accept that legacy. I will not have that spoken over my life. I will declare God's word and grace and mercy over my life. And I will walk in the promises that God has for me. Do you think that there were moments when I didn't fear that? Because, you know, he loves to come back and bite us in the, in, in the bum and remind us of things. So I remember when I was pregnant with Taylor, the one day I said to Jason, we were married for five years we're both working for a church. And I said to him, so when are you going to leave me? And he was like, what are you talking about? Because I allowed that to come back and have a little nibble at the fact that that, that might happen to me. And so I want to encourage you that there are certain legacies that you've been left with that you can pray against, that you can declare God's word over your life. You can declare who He is and His promises and what He says. And you can live in that. You can live free from those legacies and you can create a new legacies with better decisions and fewer regrets. 
And so I believe that now I'm living in the legacy that before me, Donovan Kutsia, our previous national leader, has left for us. And Graham Evans, the senior pastor of View Church, has left for us. That's the legacy I'm living in. And I want my family to live in that legacy. And Jason and I, when we got married, we said that there are things that we need to do for our family that will be new things, that will be a new start. And so I wanna encourage you today, don't blame anyone else. Don't look at your past and say, but my parents, but my siblings, but that previous boss. Stop blaming others and take responsibility for your own life. Start making wise choices so that you can actually have a legacy that is marked by God. Can I ask you to stand as we pray together? And what I want you to do is I want you to think about any legacy over your life right now that you know you want to see rid of. You want that legacy gone. You you will not tolerate, you will not accept that being part of your life anymore. I want you to think about that and I want us to pray together. Father, thank you so much that with you, we can create new paths. We can um, initiate a new legacy. Lord, we we don't need to tolerate what was done to us, but we can actually rebuke it in your name. We can accept the forgiveness from Jesus. We can um, commit our lives to Jesus and we can actually live a new legacy. We can create a new legacy where our lives, um, the, the end chapters of our lives are rewritten according to your destiny for our lives. And so right now, Father, I just wanna pray over every person here who is saying, God, I wanna let go of the legacy that has been my, that has been passed down to me. I pray that that will be broken in Jesus' name. That those words spoken over you, those um, lifestyles that were lived, those decisions that were made are broken in Jesus' name. And while your eyes are closed, we cannot leave today without you at least making a commitment if you've never made it before to start a relationship with Jesus because you need to be in a relationship with Him to actually understand what He has for you. And and how you start that relationship, the first step is just to ask for forgiveness and to accept that He actually died for you and that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this morning, if you want to make that decision, all I'm going to ask for you to do is to raise your hand. No one's looking around. Everyone's eyes are closed. If you want to make a decision to start a relationship with Jesus, please raise your hand where you are so I can pray for you.